Welcome into TYT's Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ritchie. But as you can guess, I am not Dr. Ritchie. I am Adrian Lawrence and I am filling in for him while he is away. And I am super excited to be joined today by host David Schuster. It's gonna be a Rebel HQ host takeover for Indisputable today. And I am also very much looking forward to getting into the story as many of us essentially know that it is it is really, really capturing a lot of attention. That's the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. And right now those jurors, they are deliberating, it's their second day of deliberations on the five charges that Rittenhouse is facing for fatally shooting two people and severely injuring another. But while we await the outcome from the jury, we are learning essentially more forms of nonsense that have been going on with this trial and the benefits that Rittenhouse has been enjoying with, of course, special treatment courtesy of the judge. Now, in this instance, what we're talking about is the judge letting Rittenhouse handpick the folks who would essentially decide his fate. The judge told Rittenhouse to blindly choose from the jury pool using a raffle tumbler. Check out this video. We'll draw out six of the numbers. No, just uh, separate them and. And the names which are drawn out will be the jury will be uh, dismissed. Rittenhouse clearly got to play a part in his own justice of the justice system. And you know what, that may have looked pretty odd to you because it is odd. It's completely unheard of for a defendant to draw the numbers of alternate jurors. Usually the clerk of court would select the alternates. Let's see essentially what the Hill had to say when they wrote on this. Judge Bruce Schroeder instructed one of the defense attorneys essentially to put a pile of paper slips with the numbers of the 18 jurors, which he said had been exhibited to the defense in the raffle drum. The bailiff, after spinning the drum, opened it to Rittenhouse and he selected six of the slips of paper one by one, eliminating those six and leaving 12 official jurors. Now, according to a reporter in the courtroom cited by the New York Times, the six jurors who were dismissed appear to be three white men and three white women. So that left a single person of color on the jury. Seven women, five men, they're now deliberating over the verdict. And you know, this is just one of the multiple questionable actions from Judge Bruce Schroeder that really has led many to question his ability to fairly judge this case. I'd love to know, David, how does this sit with you? It doesn't sit well at all. I mean, I was half expecting that when they called out some of those numbers, one of the jurors who was suddenly decided, suddenly found out they were alternate, was going to scream, Bingo! I mean, this is silly. This is not a game. And you know, Adrian, I've covered a lot of federal court trials and some state trials. You've you've been involved in a lot more, but I've never heard of anything like this. I mean, maybe this is how they have an opportunity to do this in Wisconsin, and maybe the judge has some discretion in terms of how he determines sort of the random pick of who of the eighteen, which six are going to be alternates and which 12 actually go into deliberations. But this is just, it's bizarre. The idea that you would give the defendant 
who could face up to life in prison. You're gonna give him the opportunity to stick his finger in there and drought the, it just the whole thing was revolting on so many levels. Exactly, there are two parties here. It's the state, prosecution, and Rittenhouse. The fact that Rittenhouse gets to choose kind of like what, it's some kind of election process and it's just fun, maybe playing bingo, give me a break. The fact is that generally the clerk of court, a completely neutral party, is the one to choose in that lotto system. But no, it's like the judge essentially is treating Rittenhouse like more of a kid, like his kid, as opposed to doing his job. Like this is a photo here of the judge and Kyle Rittenhouse. And Rittenhouse is standing very close to the judge, really right over his shoulder during the trial proceedings. How often have you seen a defendant be able to get that close to a judge? This is absurd, David. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you 100%. I mean, there's just everything about this has been so bizarre and so weird. And I guess my question for you, Adrian, because you know you're you're a lawyer, you got lots of experience and all sorts of different um, platforms and trials and whatnot. Aside from, and I assume that you know, there's nothing appealable about how they randomly select which jurors are in and which are alternates, but it it does go to a pattern. And I I wonder if in the pattern of the odd behavior that we've that you've seen from this judge. Do you see any grounds for appeal or any grounds for mistrial perhaps because of specific actions, specific decisions and the way the judges handled all of this? Uh, the problem is there are so limited circumstances or options that can be taken right now because the judge is uh, essentially overseeing the entire case. So I doubt the judge is gonna essentially turn on himself and say, I made a wrong decision. I've been completely partial toward the defendant. And so I'm gonna declare a mistrial because I mucked this up. I doubt that's gonna happen, unfortunately. Uh, but we do know that the thing is, is that the judge has ruled so often in Rittenhouse's favor that if Rittenhouse is convicted, his opportunities to have things to appeal about, the issues he can raise are few and far between. Because it's essentially you won on everything below, even to the extent that it was absolutely absurd. So what do you have to complain about? You got an almost an impartial or a partial trial that was in your favor and you still lost. But then again, it's the people who lose if he isn't convicted as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, and you know the, the thing to me is, you know, putting aside, you know, the matters of facts and and the law. Well, actually, facts are important here. The fact is, here was a teenager who crossed state lines with an AR-15. Now, regardless of what the law says about the specifics in this particular case and how the law may apply, I just think that society has an interest in trying to dissuade teenagers from showing up at protests with loaded AR-15s. The cops don't want them, parents don't want them, protesters don't want them. This kid, I mean, if he gets off on all of this, I think it almost opens the door to more copycats. We're gonna say, okay, well, I can show up with my AR-15 the next time I see a protest I don't like. And if I feel threatened, then I can open fire. That's terrible, it's a terrible message to send to society. No, it absolutely is, and you know what, the fact is, Let's go ahead and continue this conversation when it comes to police officers. And, you know, as we know, Kyle Rittenhouse really wanted to be one. But as we go down in Georgia, we know that six police officers, they've been indicted over the death of a man named Antonio May. This 32 year old man was from Fulton County, Georgia, and really the circumstances of his death are just, they are very disturbing. So these six deputies, tased him, beat and pepper sprayed this 32 year old man while he was naked. They physically restrained him and eventually killed him. Now here's a photo of Antonio May with his family. So you should get a view of this man and who he is. Because when I read to you essentially what happened to him, it 
it's really, it's going to be disturbing and upsetting. Let's talk about what the Atlanta Journal Constitution has reported on how he was arrested. So May, he's a 32 year old father of three from Macon, had been arrested and taken to the Fulton County Jail after he was accused of throwing rocks at the windows of the American Cancer Society building downtown. His lawyer, Michael Harper said May died of cardiovascular collapse due to physical restraints. And this was a death that occurred in police custody. So let's talk about that. Because once he was in custody, the police handling of what happened to May clearly seemed to lead to his death. So in the cell, May took off his clothes and exposed himself. In response, six deputies went into May's cell with one using a taser on him without warning. Now this is according to the lawsuit, these officers would call it Taser Tuesday. So a confrontation ensued after which all six deputies tasered, beat and pepper sprayed May. That's according to the lawsuit. Then the deputies allegedly placed May in a restraining chair, covered his head in a spit mask, a mask that's used to protect police from body fluids. And they tried to wash the pepper spray off of May by placing a water hose to his face. This man was covered in a mask and they had water hose going directly at his face. Now May's family had filed a wrongful death lawsuit against the jail and its healthcare provider in May of 2019, alleging excruciating pain and suffering. Now this has been more than three years later and we have a grand jury that's indicted those six deputies on five charges including felony murder, aggravated assault, battery and violation of oath of office by a public officer. The officers named in the indictment are Aaron Cook, Guido de la Cruz, Omar Jackson, Jason Roche, Kenesia Stroder and William Whitaker. That's according to the Washington Post. You know, I've got to ask David. Really, these circumstances—it's just jarring. It's it's disgusting. And first of all, a couple of things jump out. And correct me if I'm wrong, Adrian, but I mean, a prosecutor has an opportunity, has the option of going to a grand jury, or the prosecutor could bring charges themselves. And I feel like too often prosecutors, because they don't want to take responsibility themselves for having charges brought against police, they kick it over to a grand jury so they can say, oh, well, it's the grand jury that brought the charges. So that's the first thing. First of all, good for the grand jury for doing this. Secondly, clearly, clearly, Mr. May was having some sort of emotional breakdown, a psychological. Episode, if you will. I mean, to be throwing rocks if that's what he was really doing at the building. But again, once he's in custody, and then if he, you know, even if he does, you know, take off his clothes when he's in a jail cell, obviously this is a man in need of sort of mental help. He's in mental distress. The response is not force. And that's the problem with police culture across the United States. We need to respond to people not with force, but to say, okay, what can we do to try to de escalate the situation, to try to help this person? Did the police ever try to bring in some sort of mental health professional to say, Okay, let's try to figure out how we can solve this. No, instead to go in with tasers and pepper spray and to beat this guy because he's not confirming to what you want. Obviously, he's not confirming because there's something going on in his head that isn't exactly right. That doesn't mean that you 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 are allowed to beat him up. And so again, I, I do hope that you know, in addition to the grand jury indictment, I hope this does go to trial and that these officers get convicted and fired and everything else. Because at a certain point, we have to send a message. This kind of behavior when you're in police custody, even if you are taking off your clothes or having some sort of mental issue, that doesn't mean that police are allowed to cause you to have a heart attack.
Yes, no, it does not allow that at all. And it's not acceptable in any way. As you've noted, this man was having some kind of psychological breakdown. And that's something that his family has alleged in the complaint. The fact is he was just throwing rocks at the American Cancer Society building. He wasn't presenting a direct threat to anyone. And it's also alleged that he went into police custody easily and without issue. It was only when he was in his cell, he had started to strip and whatnot, where you know he was essentially not adhering to the standards of behavior that you'd expect. But that does not mean there should be Taser Tuesday, where you know this man, Mr. May, is treated as though he's not even a human being. And I do appreciate definitely what you said about the Fulton County DA's office. You know They did have the option of just filing charges on their own or going to a grand jury. And this has been several years since essentially it occurred and the Fulton County DA's office, it really has unfortunately dragged out the case for these three years. And the newly elected DA, that's Fannie Willis, well, she is promising that the May family, that they should have a verdict by the end of the year, which is huge. And this is what the Atlanta Journal Constitution said. The Fulton District Attorney's Office presented the results of its three year investigation on Tuesday. It is now the duty of my office to prove these charges beyond a reasonable doubt to a jury at trial. My staff and I will continue to work to ensure that justice is done in this case. That's the statement from DA Fannie Willis. And I think that that's a powerful statement. And the fact that she got moving on this as the new DA, it speaks volumes. But David, do you think that there's actually going to be change that these officers will likely be held accountable? Well, wow, that's a great question. And I think, look, in an ideal world, they would be held accountable in part because there would be other officers who certainly knew. I'm sure there were a lot of people in the department who knew about this episode. And I would like to think that the prosecutors are gonna benefit from testimony from other officers who will say, yeah, such and such an officer came to me and confided this is what happened and they were happy about it or they thought it was funny. What I mean, that kind of testimony would be very powerful. And I'm sure that testimony is out there. The question is, well, do the police feel comfortable enough to say this cannot happen anymore? And because it cannot happen anymore, we're gonna help the prosecutors. And I, a police officer who knew about this, I'm gonna provide testimony against fellow officers because this cannot stand. To me, that would be a crucial sign that police culture is starting to change and that officers in general recognize that this kind of stuff is wrong. I'm not optimistic that's gonna happen. And I'm not optimistic that police departments are going to change. But at a certain point, there are a lot of good officers out there. And some of them have to stand up and say, you know what? I heard about this three years ago. I didn't like it then, I don't like it now. I'm gonna give the prosecutors everything that I know about my colleagues and what they did. That would be so nice, but I understand you essentially not holding out that much in terms of optimism because the fact is it's that you know you cross that blue line and you end up suffering in the end. I think we just had a story recently in the media where an officer who essentially turned in another cop for engaging in misconduct and violating civil rights, that he was the one to get fired as opposed to the officer who had engaged in the misconduct. And the fact is that a lot of these officers will look the other way because they could be the ones to suffer in the event that they actually speak up. Our system is very broken, very, very broken, especially in this instance where you had Taser Tuesdays, a play on Taco Tuesdays, as though that's acceptable to essentially make it sport to attack inmates, to attack people who are being held, and especially an individual who is having a psychological breakdown. It just seems highly unethical. Do you have any last thoughts on this, David? 
Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, I think there's a certain element to the certain sadistic nature of some people that are drawn to law enforcement and that for whatever reason, it seems to attract people who feel like they've got the power to beat up other people. And that's where I think police culture needs to start in terms of how it changes is that first there has to be a better way of weeding out people who may be prone to violence or who enjoy beating the hell or tasering somebody. And then secondly, there's gotta be some way that police departments across the United States whether it's retraining, whether it's recruiting, whether it's changing the staffing, there's gotta be a stronger mental health component. People who are mental health experts who get brought in to assist with these situations. It shouldn't be up to six police officers who are trained on how to physically detain somebody to determine, okay, how can I deescalate this and solve this person's mental health issues? That shouldn't be the expectation, but there should be an expectation that police officers will have that resources they can call nearby so that they don't have to go and pepper spray and taser. There's somebody that can come in and talk to this guy and try to bring things down to a level where everybody is safe. And as long as that mental health component is not available to police officers or police departments are not encouraging that resource to be available, these problems are gonna continue. Absolutely, they will persist and something I hope the federal government does as we know that Merrick Garland's attorney general's office that it's really doing a lot in terms of holding local law enforcement accountable is they need to have some kind of federal oversight investigation here. If you had an act called Taser Tuesday, that's as prevalent as it is and it sounds like these officers are using their tasers as sport on individuals who are taken into custody, which led to this man's death then you really have a problem within your department that it needs to be weeded out and it cannot be weeded out by any anybody on that local level. We definitely need federal involvement. All right, thank you so much for joining us for this first segment here and we will be back shortly, see you soon. Welcome back to Indisputable. It is Adrian Lawrence filling in for Dr. Rashad Ritchie. And you are gonna wanna stay on in terms of TYT coverage after Indisputable because you've got an amazing conversation coming up with Tim Black on the conversation. He'll be joining Senator Nina Turner. And so make sure you check that out today, right before the Young Turks. That's at 5.30 p.m. Eastern, 2.30 Pacific. That's on tyt.com backslash live. And then we have a new Twitch exclusive. Join Francesca Fiorentini Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific on twitch.tv tyt for the Twitchuation Room. Francesca is gonna break down the top stories of the week while interacting and engaging with the live Twitch audience. And should you wish to engage and interact more with tyt, please definitely Maybe sign up to be a contributor. TYT is looking for some new video content creators for Rebel HQ. You get to work beside me and the wonderful David Schuster, who is co-hosting with me today. And we're gonna be looking really for people who wanna write, produce, host, and edit short form editorial videos on breaking news and politics stories with a progressive point of view. So if you're interested, go to tyt.com slash careers to find out more and how to apply to be considered. You can also check out Rebel HQ. Check out our videos that is on YouTube or Facebook and see what we're creating and doing and how you can bring your voice to Rebel HQ on TYT. All right, let's hear what the people have to say. Let's check out some of your comments on tytmembers.com. So first we have Mickey C, the silver haired dragon said, just the fact that the judge disallowed evidence because he doesn't understand tech should have had him kicked off the bench. He then laughed about it, 
went on a five minute rant about it. Nice that he thought it was funny that he refused to allow evidence because he was too stupid to comprehend it. Indeed, there have been a lot of issues with this judge and it's really a disgrace for the judiciary and really undermines the justice system. So thank you about that. As far as Antonio May goes, eclectic Michelina, it appears the name is, I've sometimes seen tasing referred to as non-lethal force. People can can and do die after getting tased. Tasing should be used sparingly, if at all, and should not be used as an allegedly safe alternative to shooting someone. Absolutely, you see in this instance here with Mr. May, how that essentially will send a bunch of volts to your body and impact your heart. Yeah, definitely sounds pretty deadly to me. Also from V, it's obvious these cops do not know how to respond to people in mental distress. They should have called in the mental health worker to work with them or guide them, not the tasers to deescalate the gentleman while he was having a meltdown in his cell. RIP, dear sir, thank you so much for those kind words. And let's look at the YouTube super chats. For Bazilla, $5, Adrian looking like a straight babe this morning. Okay, thank you. I love seeing your hair like that, makes me so jealous of your natural hair. I appreciate that greatly. All right, as far as the Rittenhouse trial, we got five pounds it appears from Bernie the Kiwi Dragon. Hi, Adrian and David, as far as you can see, there are grounds for a complete, are there grounds for a complete retrial? This one is a complete farce. Uh, we'll have to see how things end um, and whether he gets a second trial. Uh, hopefully there is a conviction. Also, ISP Brother Wolf said, nothing against you lovely people in chat, but when I see this, I'm damn happy I don't live in USA. Uh, you ain't wrong, it's a, special, it's a special place, special experience, but hopefully there is change ahead. And for Twitch, we have from Peachy Sherry, what's next? Pick your sentence from the hopper, price is right games to determine your guilt. Referring to Rittenhouse, essentially being able to Yahtzee his way to his jury pool. Exactly, it's quite special. And then Antonio May, well, that's Gelfer71, says that it's flat out torture, what was done to Mr. May, absolutely. And Fiddlin' Nero, we've seen so many people killed while wearing spit masks. How are they still legal anywhere? That is an exceptional question. And also, if anyone's out there on Twitter, well, it's a reminder, you can tweet us at IndisputableTYT and tag IndisputableTYT as that hashtag so we can read your comments live on air. And now we are going to jump into a segment that I know you all love so much. I wish Karen would. You wanna call the police on them for having a barbecue on a in Sunday. You're gonna feel great, back off. I'm gonna tell them there's an African American man threatening my life. You handed me, no, <laughs> no, your country, you can do whatever you want. But here you go by this, yeah. So you screwed up, you screwed up. How many other people did you screw? No, not school, okay, everybody oh. do the same. You know I am, no, can't See, do that. You, you know, there have no chance to, to uh, print the menu. We just called New York last week. They're, they're not printing out yet. Yeah, so this comes a thousand to print all these, all, no, all these, okay? No, this is the no, price. That's today. the price. I am taking pictures. I don't mind. You even up the prices of the, of his drink too. I'm still working on the menu. Look at that. Yeah. I still, I still well, uh, you should have done that menu. before you gave it to us. I'm I mean, sorry, that's the just, law. Just no chance. I'll get just a few days only. You know, weekend. Nowhere, nowhere can open. Mm. Nowhere's open. Do it right away. I am online. I'm I sorry about online. that for you, but you're not ripping me off. That behavior right there, especially that comment about in this country, the the xenophobia is real, David. 
I mean, it's just disgusting. And clearly, I mean, I'm not exactly sure where this happened. It sounded like, you know, that couple, elderly couple was from maybe the New York metropolitan region. I mean, it just, it's so infuriating because what makes America so great, and we, yes, this country has incredible problems, and we've got a lot of things that need to change. What makes it great is its diversity, the fact that we are the ultimate melting pot, the fact that there is a Korean, Japanese, Chinese restaurant probably within a stone's throw of anywhere you live in the United States. That's awesome, and we should embrace it, and we should embrace race people who want to try to start a restaurant with particular food that maybe is native to where they originally came from. Although I have a feeling that this restaurant's been around for a long time. The idea that you would mistreat people like this, that just because the menu, menus change all the time, prices change all the time. You could have asked at the beginning, hey, how much is it if I want to order this or that? Um, but to be such jerks, uh, to, to, to literally traumatize somebody who's just trying to give you a meal. It is just horrifying and I hope the I hope the internet does its work and that that couple is publicly identified and shamed and turned away from restaurants in the future. Yeah, you know, the ignorance here, this thought that, oh, maybe it's because of the sound of your voice or the way that you look, that that means that this isn't your country. Get out of here with that mess. The fact that she felt it was acceptable to bring that into the conversation about paying the bill, no. It, it really just shows that at the heart, that this person has a pretty dark heart. Because as we see, prices are changing. There's always an opportunity for there to be a disconnect. We've I've received menus up for the lunch menu when it's supposed to be the dinner menu, but I didn't bring up anything that was completely irrelevant to the fact. But right now, something we are seeing in in um, in a lot of restaurants is that they are adding amounts and charging prices to um, to food because of essentially inflation. Because of the fact that you know there is a fair labor shortage going on right now. And so people, sometimes they are paying other people more. And then on top of that, things are costing more. We're seeing consumer prices essentially jumping up 6.2% last month. That's the biggest inflation surge in more than 30 years. Now that was according to NBC News. The fact is that we are essentially going through an inflation problem right now. And for these businesses to stay afloat, they are going to have to increase the price of food and dishes. So, you know, David, I don't know, how does this resonate with you? Well, look, I mean, restaurants in particular, I mean, it is their job to, to serve you, to bring you your meal, to make sure that it is healthy and safe. And you think about what restaurants have gone through the last 18 months and with the pandemic and COVID and trying to keep everybody, you know, they're trying to stay in business. They're opening their doors. They're trying to make sure that everybody has a safe and tasty experience. And this is a response, a sense of entitlement from somebody who's xenophobic and racist. I mean, that couple should be grateful, A, that they're allowed to sit in that restaurant, that the restaurant has Hasn't been closed. B that they're giving that they're that they're able to be served food that is well prepared and that there's a safe environment. And yet, instead of being grateful, instead of showing some gratitude to the people who are preparing your your food and, and delivering your meal, this is what you do. You say, "Oh no, you changed the price on me. How dare you!" I mean, that's just ridiculous. And again, some people, you know, what if that's your attitude, if you feel that sense of entitlement. Those types of people stay at home, make your own sushi or Chinese food or whatever it is you, you want. Do it yourself and if it doesn't turn out the way you want, if the price somehow is more expensive than you thought, blame yourself. But don't go attacking other people. 
No, don't go attacking other people, exactly. And as far as it's concerns with this inflation issue, that's something that Biden and his advisors and also economists are saying that the Build Back Better Act is supposed to help cure because we haven't fully recovered from the pandemic in any way as far as economics go. And the labor market, it is not necessarily as stable as it should be. And so, hey, we need something in place to make the necessary changes. But let's go ahead and move on to our next conversation, which essentially takes us to Nevada. That's where a judge on Tuesday, well, he sentenced a Las Vegas man to probation on a charge because he voted twice in the 2020 election by mailing in his deceased wife's ballot. The funny part about this is that the man in question, well, his name, Donald Kirk Hartle, well, he is facing these charges because he was also happened to be one of those people who, uh, what, loved to tout the thought that there was election fraud going on. Uh, and of course, as you might imagine, as we'll discuss, it looks like this gentleman is a Trump supporter. Well, let's see what CBS News Now 8 from Las Vegas said. Donald Kirk Hartle, 55, who was facing two charges relating to last year's election. In court Tuesday, Hartle pleaded guilty to one charge of voting more than once in the same election. He also appeared virtually in court with his attorney, David Chesnoff. Hartle reached a deal with prosecutors to avoid prison time. Now, Judge Carly Kearney also fined Hartle $2,000 as part of the plea agreement. The original Category D felony carried a maximum prison sentence of four years. Ultimately, to me, this seems like a cheap political stunt that kind of backfired and shows that our voting system actually works because you were ultimately caught. That's what Kearney told Hartle in court. And about his deceased wife, Rosemary Hartle of Las Vegas. Well, she had died in 2017 at the age of 52 from breast cancer. That's what Kirk Hartle had told CBS 8. And a ballot for Rosemary was issued in October 2020 and later received by the county. But Kirk said that the ballot never came to his house. The I team found that even though Rosemary died in 2017, her name appeared on the active voter list. And so we do know that this Hartle gentleman, if he stays out of trouble for a year, that he's going to be able to withdraw his plea instead of guilty to a charge of conspiracy to commit voting more than once in the same election, which is a misdemeanor. So this guy is basically getting a pass or the potential for a pass if he stays out of trouble, despite the fact that he clearly broke the law. David, thoughts? This is this is white privilege, right? Because if this guy is getting a very lenient treatment, but think about it this way. If this had been an African American gentleman or an African American family that had somehow knowingly <laughs> voted twice, knowingly committed fraud, do we think that the Trumpsters would have been okay with, oh, well, let's knock down your sentence, let's have a plea agreement, you don't have to go to jail, we'll, relieve, we'll reduce this to a misdemeanor in the future? No, the, the, the Trumpsters would have been infuriated would have said that black person who violated our ethics and undermined democracy, they should go to jail. We know that's how they would react. And yet, okay, when it's that when it's their ox that's being gored, when it's this Mr. Hurdle, Captain Kirk, whatever his name is, the Trump supporter, and he gets caught voting twice, and his, his wife died several years ago. He knew what he was doing, but now mm -hmm. he gets to plead out. And now he gets exactly. kid glove treatment. I mean, it's just remarkable. It is, and I love you know the fact that you brought up the Trump aspect of it, because this man wasn't just a Trump supporter. He really, really went hard in the paint for Trump. This is according to CBS. Hartle, he's the chief financial officer at Ahern Rentals, which hosted a rally for former President Donald Trump last September and was cited for violating 
coronavirus protocols. The umbrella company hosted a QAnon conference in October at the Ahern Hotel off the Vegas Strip. Now, the Nevada Attorney General Aaron Ford said this in a statement. This particular case of voter fraud was particularly egregious because the offender continually spread inaccurate information about the elections despite being the source of fraud himself. I'm glad to see Mr. Hartle being held accountable for his actions and I wanna stress that our office will pursue any credible allegations of voter fraud. That is the right statement and I love this energy. I do hope the Attorney General keeps it up, but it would be nice if hey, Maybe he didn't give passes to people or opportunities for them to correct their behavior, especially when they know they're wrong. Yeah, so let's would, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. David. I was gonna say I would I would have some respect for Mr. Hurdle. If look, I get that there are people out there who see that you know the, the earth is flat and therefore they're building their own sort of, I don't know, parachutes or something so that it would fall off. Likewise, if Mr. Hurdle said, you know what, I am so convinced there's widespread voter fraud, and so that's why I did it, because I felt like, well, if they're committing voter fraud, then I should be able to commit voter fraud too. At least you can almost sort of follow, you could almost sort of respect that sort of line of, of logic and reasoning, even though it's kind of crazy. But to try to hide this and to complain about other people can engage in voter fraud and then and then just sort of pretend that, well, no, I, this was just sort of an innocent mistake. I mean, come on. Yeah, seriously. And the misinformation campaign, the fact that he was supporting Trump and uh, violating coronavirus protocols, also supporting QAnon, like this person is a true problem. So by virtue of the fact that he can now hopefully reduce this to a misdemeanor, it doesn't leave me feeling very confident that the that the system is taking this as serious as it should. Because individuals like this who are in positions of power, as this man is with the CFO, you know, he can continue to engage in this behavior. And it's really just that slap on the wrist. And we've seen a little bit too much of that. We do need to see these individuals be held accountable for their behavior, especially when they're out here, essentially trying to undermine our democracy. But we will talk more about individuals undermining our democracy next, stick and stay. Welcome back to TYT's Indisputable, Adrian Lawrence in for Dr. Rashad Ritchie. And after the show today, you can catch Tim Black on the conversation. He's gonna be joining Senator Nina Turner and it's gonna be pretty exciting. That is tonight right before the Young Turks at 5.30 p.m. Eastern, 2.30 p.m. Pacific on TYT.com Live. Also, Twitchuation Room, well, that's that new Twitch exclusive join. Francesca on Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. That's on twitch.tv TYT. Join us at the Twitchuation Room. Also, Hey, yo, if you wanna join me and David, well, hey, we could use you. We're looking for people who wanna write, produce, host, and edit short form editorial videos for Rebel HQ. If you've got that progressive point of view and you've got the talent to execute, please go to tyt.com slash careers to find out more, including how to apply. So let's read a few of the viewer comments. I love to hear from you all. First up on TYT members at tyt.com, we have Eric the Red. He said, as if staff dealing with customers don't have hard enough working conditions, they also have to deal with racist bigots. I'm getting frustrated just listening to that Karen, for real. The Great American Healthcare Famine said, this Karen video makes me happy that I haven't waited on a table since 2013. Food service is a hotbed for Karenicity. Yep, as is retail, I know that one well. And Mickey C, the silver haired dragon said, people don't spew hateful comments unless those thoughts were already part of their mindset, yep. 
That she went right to in this country, outed her feelings about anyone who doesn't exactly look like her. That's right. So the YouTube super chat, well, Sandy L said, I don't understand why people patronize places that represent the very people they hate. Good question. Liz Zakak, she said, I worked in a bar restaurant all summer and I was abused by customers constantly in my 20 years in the service industry. I have never seen such nastiness. That's right. And Forbzilla, who dropped $5, thank you. If you don't like the people, don't eat there. I'm gonna add 10 to the bill for each time you being a rude B to the staff and owner. Sounds right. And Karen, on Karen, I guess you should say, Anisha Cameron said, shake my head. I've gone to so many restaurants in 2021 that had to raise prices at this point, accept it. That's right, we are all in this together. Also on Twitch, Insomnia, Insomnia Noir, just more proof that all Republicans talking points are just projection. Also, Interbean said another example of discrimination because a black woman got five years for something less egregious. Yeah, I think we're talking about that, that voting, absolutely. It's such a disparate system. And there are problems all around, including somewhere in St. Louis that made its way out to Minnesota. Or Wisconsin, I should say. So that St. Louis couple who became infamous for flashing their firearms at Black Lives Matter protesters. Well, they came out to Kenosha to show some support for Kyle Rittenhouse. Check out this video. Support the people's right to defend themselves. Absolutely. And uh, what do you expect to happen today? I suspect we'll get a verdict today. So. And what do you think that verdict is going to be? Well, you know, I don't know. We haven't been in there to hear all the evidence. We, uh, from what we understand, and from what I've seen, I'm hoping for an acquittal on all counts. Mm-hmm. And are you going to be out here all day, or what are your plans while you're in Kenosha? We're going to be out here until we get a verdict, I suspect. All right. Any thoughts over here? Uh, I have no relationship. I'm just an American citizen. Um, I'm Mark McCloskey from St. Louis, and we're just here to support people that uh, exercise their Second Amendment rights and defend themselves, particularly when the uh, the government abdicates that that duty and fails to protect its citizens. And we've got uh, programs to defund the police all over the place. But if you defund the police and the government is not there to protect the citizens, citizens have to protect themselves. That's an interesting right-wing talking point that was pandered by Mark McCloskey. I'm sure he did enjoy his time in the in the spotlight when it was him and having their Ken and Karen gun experience. That moment, then when they were really brandishing their weapons at that Black Lives Matter protest. Now, Fox News had reported that Mark and Patricia McCloskey that they were parked outside of a hotel near the Kenosha County Courthouse on Monday. Mark McCloskey told the news outlet that he and his wife feel for the 18-year-old Rittenhouse, who faces multiple charges, including first-degree intentional homicide. Also, The Hill had written that the McCloskeys pleaded guilty to misdemeanor charges after brandishing weapons outside their home during that protest in June 2020. And Patricia McCloskey pleaded guilty to a second-degree harassment charge, while Mark pleaded guilty to a fourth-degree Assault charge. Both of these people are attorneys, mind you. And the McCloskeys, well, they pleaded guilty to misdemeanor charges after brandishing that weapon. And this is part of the problem here because they were both later pardoned by the governor of Missouri. Now, Mark McCloskey, the personal injury attorney who recently launched a bid for the US Senate, well, he told Fox News in Kenosha that he thought it was a wise idea to attend the Rittenhouse trial. David, 
Some people are just like the idea that he would think it's helpful to anybody for him to attend this trial. He is a lightning rod of controversy. He is what you would call a jackass. The only thing he's learned since that incident in St. Louis is that he shouldn't wear that pin shirt and those khaki pants because he literally looks like one. So now he's wearing a suit to cover up his bulge. But it doesn't hide the fact that this guy is a moron. The idea that he thinks that he's got anything to offer, a criminal trial, a trial where somebody has been brandishing an AR-15 and killed two people. Rittenhouse killed two people. You know, he may feel for Rittenhouse, but you know what? A lot of people feel for the two victims who didn't need to be shot to death that night when they were simply exercising their First Amendment right to protest. Yeah, absolutely. That's so interesting. I thought in terms of how McCluskey's talking about protecting Second Amendment rights while completely and totally ignoring First Amendment rights. And the fact that those gentlemen had the right to protest as they were peacefully protesting when Kyle Rittenhouse decided that he wanted to play young guns out there in the streets and take people's lives. The fact is that the McCloskey's, they are just more examples of the problem in this nation with people feeling that, hey, we have to do do whatever we can to silence certain groups. We have to make sure that marginalized people stay marginalized. And we're gonna make this a gun rights issue when that's clearly not the issue. When this is really about being able to subjugate people, to keep them silenced and to not allow equity to really become part of the fabric of our society. And something I like to also point out is the fact that the McCluskey's were taking a photo with fans. And of course, one of them were flashing a sign associated with white supremacists. So, you know, as we check out that photo, it's like, how are you going to tell me that this isn't an issue that really has race at the core of it? David? I just think the McCloskeys are probably envious of, of the attention that Rittenhouse has gotten, that maybe they somehow regret that they didn't open fire, that they couldn't be the ones picking jurors out of some sort of barrel or whatever sort of game they were playing with jury selection. I mean, Rittenhouse has become something of a conservative hero, and I don't get it, right? I thought conservatives stood for law and order, and the fact that anybody would elevate Rittenhouse as some sort of model or inspiration. The fact that anybody would support the McCloskeys for what they did in St. Louis, it shows just how rotten so much of our society has become. And it shows just how despicable. I mean, we are a divided nation, not because people wanna teach about a history of racism or about slavery. We're a divided country because we have jerks like this who decide, you know what? I'm gonna just empower my racism even more. And I want even more power to subjugate other people. That's why this country is divided. And at a certain point, I hope more people wake up and say, you know what? The McCloskey's written houses, they need to be shamed out of our society. Yep, absolutely. That would be nice in terms of change because we definitely don't see people like the McCluskeys out here attending trials where black people have essentially been prosecuted for using weapons in open carry states and whatnot. Let's go ahead and move on to our last story. So the leader of the Proud Boys, that's a far right group that has a lot of problems. Well, he's asked the judge to free him from jail in Washington DC because it turns out it's actually jail. Yeah, that's right. The Proud Boys leader, Henry Enrique Terrio. Well, he is concerned of the fact that it's not as nice to be in jail. 
This is what the Guardian wrote about it. So Tario is serving a five month sentence, and this is for stealing and burning a Black Lives Matter banner from a historic black church in the Capitol after Donald Trump's election defeat. On Monday, Tario asked the judge to release him, arguing that he has been exposed to inhumane conditions. Now asking that his sentence be reduced or that he be allowed to complete it under house arrest. Tario had claimed to have been harassed by correctional officers and said his cell regularly floods with dirty water from a toilet in a neighboring cell. Tario described abusive guards, smoke-filled hallways, and medical neglect, saying he witnessed a prisoner have a seizure who lay for a half hour before being helped. Now, according to Tario's attorney, Tario has endured serious abuses of his rights on a daily basis, including jail employees repeatedly ignoring his request for medical treatment, throwing cold, often inedible meals into his cell and denying access to running water. Apparently, it seems that Tario realized that jail is jail. So I guess he's not as you know tough as he purported to be, David. Yeah, I mean, look, the uh, the Proud Boys, uh, white nationalists, they expect that if they're gonna get in any trouble, they should go to Club Med. And that typical jails are only for black people, for minorities. And how dare they be sentenced and go to the same sort of conditions as anybody else. Again, it's this sort of white privileges entitlement that white nationalists have. And the fact of the matter is, I believe that federal marshals have looked into the conditions at the DC jail and have found there's nothing wrong. There are inspections of the DC jail, just like there are inspections of other jails. It's not Club Med, it's not meant to be a hotel, it's meant to be you're behind bars. This is a punishment for you. And it's not inhumane, according to the federal marshals and all the inspections. So this was just some sort of plea for attention, perhaps, by this lunatic white nationalist. And woe is him. Well, you know what? I don't feel sorry for him, and I don't think anybody else should either. No, I definitely don't feel sorry for him. You know, I will say that I do think that the vast majority of our jails are inhumane and that they're not productive. And the fact is that I think they're very problematic at the same time. I really don't feel for this guy because he was out here talking all this game in the streets, engaging in illegal activity, flipping and turning on people. He was really talking rogue like he was about to start a movement. But then when consequences come knocking at his door, all of a sudden, He's not built for this. He's a little too tender to be marinating up in his jail cell. And it's just, it's annoying and it is, it's also entertaining. And and you raise such a great point, Adrian, because you know, if Tario really believes that you know jail conditions are inhumane, to your point, he could come out and say, look, I have I have I have I'm a changed person. I realize now how inhumane, how terrible jail conditions are. And instead of promoting white nationalism and our support for Donald Trump, I'm gonna turn a turn a corner and I'm now gonna advocate for better jails, for safer jails, for recidivism, for doing things that can actually help people. He could have come out and said that. And then at least you might think, oh, maybe this guy really deserves to be treated a little bit nicer. Maybe he, he he should be cut some sort of break because he's gonna try to work to change something that's wrong in our society. But instead, it's always all about himself. It's always about me, me, me. I don't like my conditions. I don't like the food. The food's not warm. The water's not warm enough. Oh, woe is me. And you know what? Too bad. Yeah, it's like you created the circumstances from which you now complain. And I haven't heard him essentially renounce the Proud Boys and say it was an entire mistake. And he may have, but I haven't heard it. So it clearly hasn't been that loud and clear. But one thing we do know is Tario had pleaded guilty in August to that destruction of property. And that the DC Superior Court judge said on Monday that he's gonna rule by the end of the week on whether he's gonna reduce Tario's sentence to 90 days. And I definitely damn sure hope he does not because consequences need to be experienced by these individuals. 
based on how much chaos and criming they've done. And really, how many people they've recruited to engage in the same amount of havoc. David, any closing words? Well, look, if Tario is lonely in jail, which by all accounts, it seems like he is, then maybe what he should do is cooperate with federal prosecutors and identify some of the other proud boys who have been breaking laws, who have been engaging in criminal conspiracies, who have been causing damage. And then maybe some of his colleagues from the proud boys will join him in jail. And then he, then he won't feel so lonely. And then he'll have somebody he can play cards with and complain about the food with and you know complain about the water. And he won't feel like it's just him by himself. But the fact of the matter is, look, there are a lot of people in the DC jail that he probably does have some sort of affinity to because they're all those folks who are still locked up because of their insurrection on January the 6th and the violence and injuring more than 140 police officers. So I don't know why this guy's complaining. He's got enough like-minded friends who are in there. They should all band together and woe is me together. And that's how they should get through this. Find some way, look, this is your punishment. You've been sentenced to this jail time, deal with it like a man. <laughs> well, I think that's a problem. Uh, he handled a lot of these things <laughs> like a man, but hey, I'm not, I don't need to go there. But thank you so much for joining us today, David. Um, Thanks, you know, Andrew. I'd love for you to share with everybody where they can find more about you, where they can see your stuff. Well, Adrian, I just I just think after you on Rebel HQ, they can find our videos on Facebook, on YouTube, also on the TYT site. The ability to sort of do videos. The original pioneer, the person who perfected this was Adrienne Lawrence and she opened the door for the rest of us to come in and do these videos. Sometimes, occasionally we almost approach as well as you do them Adrian, but we're all trying and it's a great it's a great channel. Rebel HQ on Facebook, on YouTube, everybody should look for us there. Ah, you flatter me, thank you so much. And it is always an honor to host with you and to work beside you. I am excited for all of the great Rebel HQ things we will do moving forward. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks Adrian. Hope you enjoyed David Schuster's commentary. You can again catch him on Rebel HQ. And coming up next, you can definitely check out the Twituation Room. That's with Francesca Fiorentini. That's Wednesdays, 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern. Twitch.tv-tyt. It's coming up next. And also, I'd love to hear what you guys have to say. I really enjoy your insights. So let's hear just a little bit about it, where we have TYT members at tyt.com. And the word on the street, Jess B. Anti-Racist said Rittenhouse's attorneys are accusing the state of withholding better quality video evidence. The prosecution is saying Rittenhouse's former attorney knew of the evidence and Tucker Carlson apparently aired said video on his show as Fox News purchased this drone evidence. That sounds like there is a lot going on and I'm definitely gonna have to get hip to the game with it, I will tell you. Anyways, the proud boy about his tears, Millennia Falcon said, if you do the crime, you gotta do the time. And Safan Lim said, I'm really tired of racist people getting away with crimes they committed. This country is getting worse. Indeed it is, but hopefully it will turn around soon as long as we continue to have progressive mindsets. And if there is a progressive mindset out there who would like to contribute to Rebel HQ and join me and David along with other hosts, please do check out tyt.com careers as we would love to have your voice. Thanks for catching me, Adrian Lawrence. And you can hit me up on Twitter at Adrian Law or on Instagram at Adrian Lawrence or hey, on Rebel HQ.